it's easy to see this as a series of things we've given up. But honestly, when we think about it, we're amazed at all the things we can do now that we were not able to do before. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. And welcome to our podcast of April 29, 2010. And it's actually the second uh, podcast in a series I guess it's our final one, <laughs> um, in which we have, we're answering or attempting to answer questions submitted by uh, the Creation Care class of Blakely and Hunter Williams in Huntsville, or right outside Huntsville. I believe they live in Harvest, Alabama. I love that name, don't you? <laughs> um, but anyway, um, we, so that's, that's kind of the format for today is to go through the rest of the questions that we have and try to give the answers as best we can. And I'll include a link to last week's podcast on the show notes page. So if you uh, missed that and need to go back and catch up, it'll be easy to That's do right. so. That's and, right. And I don't think they're in any particular order that I can tell. So Not that I if you tell. listen to this one first, you can move on to the next one or to the last one. Okay. So let's start off with our first question of today. What appliances have you given up and what do you still have? You know, I think when we talked about that, the, the, the big one that comes to mind is we no longer have a range, like an oven range. We do have an induction cooktop. I think we talked about that some last week. and But we have one instead of four, which would be typical right. for a range. Right. A range, our range back at Misty Lane had um, four eyes, and you could cook lots of things at one time, and we just can't do that anymore. Um, we do have our toaster oven, microwave, and our solar oven. That's one that we've taken on. We haven't mentioned that one. It's an appliance, all right, and, and um, the only thing you've got to have is sun to make it work. Can I talk a little bit about that sun oven? Yeah. I think I was like most people. When we bought the uh, global sun oven, I had it in mind that it would be a fun novelty. It was a lot of money to spend for what would be a novelty, but I thought, hey, it'd be fun, let's try it. Right. It's not a novelty. It's our go-to cooking appliance now. Uh, you can depend on it on a sunny day like today. Uh, it just works great. So um, we're we're back, we're into a regular routine using the sun oven. Right, and it's really kind of fun, too. I mean, it's fun to see things cook the way they do, and it's unbelievable, actually. Uh, that thing can get up to 350 degrees on a good day. On a good day, 350, even on a hazy day, uh, 250 to 300. Right, so right. Uh, we can generally cook most anything we need to cook yeah. other than breads. We've not had real good luck with bread yet, but we're going to keep working on right, that. Not giving up. Um, in terms of other appliances that we have, we do have a refrigerator. Um, we Before, we had a large second refrigerator that we kept in the basement for when we had overflow company. We just, and it ran all the time. You know, it was filled with whatever was left over or, you know, we were gearing up for beer and wine or, you know, whatever. Um, and it's something that we needed to keep chilled, fruit juice. But uh, we don't have that now. We have one refrigerator. We have a deep freeze now. And that is, 
well, let me back up. We do have uh, leftover from my days in my office. I have a little, one of those small refrigerators that you buy at Sam's, um, and we keep it unplugged all the time, but it's out in our um, shop area in case of emergency. If we knew we were having a large group, we could always plug it in and put the beer in there. And the way we've used it a couple of times, when we have someone else staying here, like Joe and Michelle stayed here with us, we turned on the little refrigerator so you and I could keep what we needed in it um, so we didn't didn't have to to bother them. Yeah, so we could let them have the apartment to themselves and we could pretty much live as much as we needed to outside in the outer areas. But that's a whole other subject. But we do have that little refrigerator. And the key is the small refrigerator stays off unless, except on those very short occasions when we need to call on it. Yeah, and I was about to talk about the deep freeze. And the main reason for buying that appliance is that we're planning to grow most of our own vegetables. And so we need to, when the big harvest, haha, I'm thinking optimistically, when it comes (laughs) in, uh, we want to be able to freeze. Um, I Actually, the past... Three summers, we've picked our own blueberries at the U, at UPICS. So we've frozen lots of blueberries. We've got pecans, and we get large amounts of chicken. Now that we live out in the boonies, we make we're sort of like those people you see coming in from the country to go to Costco, and they buy a, a truckload at a time. <laughs> so deep freezes come in handy for that. And I was surprised by how little energy a deep freeze uses, particularly once it's full. Um, and and we try to keep ours as full as we can, and we hope it'll be even more full right. after this right. summer. And I did mention we still have a dishwasher, right? And uh, we do we try not to use the heated dry on the dishwasher, um, and the air dries it just fine. It's easy to do that, by the way. If you're trying to trim just a little bit of power off your consumption, uh, turn off your air dry, your uh, heated dry. And then when the dishwasher finishes, just open the door and let the dishes dry naturally, and uh, that tends to be just fine. Right. And we have a washer and dryer. Those are the other two appliances. And we're about to put a clothesline up, so we'll probably the dryer will see less use than it's getting now. Um, the washer is actually one of those high-energy, efficient, front-loading. So front-loading. Front-loading. Yeah. We bought that a number of years ago while we were still in Birmingham, and it's worked great, and one reason it seems to be more efficient, a lot of you may have these already, is, is it just wrings so much more of the water out of the clothes, and so they don't have to work as hard to dry them. But the- by far the largest amount of power or energy you consume in a typical suburban home these days is HVAC, and that's really the big savings we have. Yeah, the- we don't have one of those heat pump things in our house. Um, when it's cold, we burn in the wood stove. When it's hot, we strip down and take a cool shower. We don't have air conditioning. and um, Well, we do have an air conditioner. Well, we, do, we have an air conditioner, a We've window never air used conditioner. It. <laughs> we have not yet used it, and we hope we don't need to use it. But it is there if we just can't stand it. Right. And we don't know. We've not lived here for a summer yet. We don't really know what to expect. The, the little bit of time we had the apartment finished last summer, this apartment stayed cooler than any other part of the plant, you know, where we've had like the porches or the storage room, the um, shop, this, the insulation in here is excellent. So we're hoping, and we've got a nice ceiling fan, and we can get a nice breeze going through. So we'll, the jury's out on that, but we'll let you know. 
And and the reason this room is so cool is um, it's not an accident. We thought it through carefully before we built it, and um, we've taken advantage of our understanding about the way sun and convection and insulation work to fashion what we hope is a room that stays warmer in the wintertime and cooler in the summertime. And it certainly was warm in the wintertime. So yes, I it can was. Speak to that. We, and instead of, uh, as far as heating, instead of our heat pump, uh, we do have a wood stove and we really like it. And I think we talked a little bit about yeah. that last time. So, Well, let's move on to the next question. Um, please explain the efficiency of a tankless water heater. And is there any energy trade-off? Well, when you say trade-off, obviously it uses propane. So the more we run the tankless water heater, I meant to go check that before we did this and find out how many gallons of propane we've used. I know that I looked at it in February, and at that point we had used 15 gallons of propane uh, during the season. I imagine it's up to 19 or 20 now right. that we've used. And that's strictly for the propane water heater. The standby generator goes on briefly once a week, but we've not had to call on it actually for, to produce electricity yet. So the, the, the propane we've used is basically all for the tankless water heater. Um, the, it, by far, the most sensible way to heat hot water is going to be a solar water heater. And we will be adding that. It's just one of those things that we haven't gotten right. to. But one of the things that one of the reasons we've not done it sooner is because of lingering uncertainty about whether this will be our permanent home. It seems likelier and likelier that it will be. And once we've satisfied ourselves that it is, then we'll be doing that solar assisted water heater. All right. Well, but what is the efficiency aspect of it? Like, why does it? Why is it more efficient to have a tankless water heater than a big old water tank in your? I'm so I mean, sorry. I know the I'm answer. glad you're you're keeping me honest. I'm setting on that. you I up on that one. I didn't answer the question. Did I? Sorry. <laughs> um, well, what makes a tankless water heater so effective is that you're not paying to keep water hot. You heat it up only when you actually need it. And our tankless water heater is very close to where most of it is consumed. So when you call for, for uh, hot water, it's heating it up and you're using it right away. And then it doesn't heat it up again until you call for it again. In contrast to what most of us have in our suburban homes where we have a storage tank. And that storage tank has to be kept hot, not just when you need it, but all day long when you're gone to work, all night long when you're asleep, all week long when you're gone on vacation, unless you turn it off manually, it's keeping that water hot, ready to go, just in case you call for it, and it uses a lot of energy to do so. Right, and um, where we moved here from in Birmingham, we were all electric. So we had an electric hot water heater, mm -hmm. uh, which... Our electric bills, I'm sure, <laughs> suffered. We know they were pretty high. And one um, other thing to think of, this has nothing to do with energy conservation, but it is something to, to think about. Our water heater here at the farm will supply two good, healthy users at one time. So you and I can both take a shower at the same time, for example. And we have. And we have on a cold, cold winter morning. Mm -hmm. We tried it one time. 
and both of us can take a shower and we don't have any problem with enough hot water. You should and mention in two separate showers. That's they true. might be getting a different kind of image here. But, you know, you've TMI, talked about... TMI, Amanda, TMI. <laughs> um, he has an out... We have, we have an outdoor shower and an indoor one, so we really could run two showers at the same time. Right. And you can do that as long as you have propane. You know, there's no risk of ever running out of hot water as there is in the traditional storage tank system. So it has real advantages. It really yeah. does. Okay, well, the next question is completely different subject. Do you have any plans for animals or livestock? And, I, of course, I think my first response is we are so anxious to get a dog. Um, that will be our first animal that we plan to bring to the and farm. we probably will wait to do that until we've sold our suburban home. Right, right. But we had a sweet yellow lab who was a part of our family for years, Kalijah, and um, he passed on. Uh, a little about a year and a to half. You I know a year and a half. In fact, he would have loved this place so much. He did love it. He, he we brought him toward the end of his life. Um, so we rather than start out when we're having to go back and forth and have so much to manage with a little puppy, we just want to wait. But it'll be a fairly large dog and um, one that you know is good around children since we have our little grandson Smith who comes to visit every once in a while. Um, as far as livestock, well, I guess we should back up. People, a lot of people have said we need to have a cat out in the country. And I love cats, and I wouldn't mind that. Um, my daughter is allergic to cats and has requested that we not get one. So, uh, And I do want her to come visit me a lot. <laughs> Our daughter, the announcer, Adrian. Um, and so that's one issue. Now, we could get a cat that stays outdoors all the time. I'm certainly, we're not making an, an all-in-a statement about that. Okay, but let's get on to the, the more livestock. farm-oriented Well, the animals. more farm-oriented, well, to me, the cat would be to get rid of mice and that kind of thing, but that's a whole other uh, discussion. We have talked about our first, what a lot of people would call livestock, being laying hens. We don't, and maybe one rooster to kind of maybe. help herd them around. You know, their roosters are said to have some protective uh, function with hens, but I don't. We don't want to be in the business of uh, what do people call it? Processing their chickens, <laughs> um, harvesting their chickens. We would like to have them just live their lives out here and lay eggs. And maybe we talked about goats, but I've been pretty much talked out of goats. I do have a cousin who wants me to get a donkey. One of my cousins in Troy said we should get a donkey. That they're good to keep. Um, a lot the kinds of animals that would threaten. Ch chickens actually like coyotes and um i don't know foxes but kind of i, I think you are putting your finger on it. it we have our hands full with the veg and the orchards and so forth so we're tiptoeing into this whole idea of livestock we see that as a, a qualitative step further into the commitment and as a result we want to understand more about yes. growing plants before we take on livestock. Yes, but I do think we, we're in agreement that our first livestock uh, would be laying hens and we possibly are. the only ones we would ever have. And possibly the only ones we yeah. would ever have. I keep bringing up rabbits. You keep poo-pooing that. No, because you want to them to be meat rabbits, and I, I, I just can't do that. Rabbits. I'm sorry. They're sweet little bunnies. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to the next question. What And this is one we, I, we might have a slightly different take on what the implication of the question was, so we may be giving you two different answers. Um, what are your plans for the future of the farm? 
I think that's a really good question. And what was fascinating to us as we described our answer to it. To when, each other. When yeah, you we ask just... Lee, what are your plans for the future of the farm? Lee gets existential. He thinks in terms of what do we want this farm to be? What's its role in our lives? And you ask that question of Amanda and you get a list of 15 projects. So it's... Um, it's interesting well, to see the, the way we are different in right. the way we view that. So why don't you answer first? You've got the big picture existential answer. Okay, the big picture existential answer for me is we want this to be our home until we're dead. We see this as a teaching place. We see this as certainly as a place that we can use as an example for how people can cope with the somewhat... Um, with the changes that we see coming, um, we also see it as a place that can become the anchor of our family, a place that will all will give us all, including our grandchildren, a deep sense of place. So I right. guess that's my answer. Okay. Um, I won't go through all the list of projects. <laughs> Why not, Amanda? But what I think of when I think of plans is... We're trying to out certain things that, well, first of all, we've tried living in this apartment, 600 square feet. Um, it's not large enough for us to host comfortably uh, a lot of other families, and we'd love to have people be able to come here and stay with us, um, especially when they've traveled out into the boonies to see us. You just don't want to say, okay, come for the day and go back. Um, so we need something larger, but... We've come to view this place, as you hinted at earlier, we might we might choose to live out our days, the two of us in here, because it's sort of like having a big master suite, if you can pr picture that. Um, or, I don't know, I've seen some people's master suites, maybe it's the same size as theirs, but it, ha it has kind of a little built-in kitchen, and it has its uh, bathroom, closet, um, porch, screened-in porch, and all of that. But one of the first things we want to do after we've sold our house in Birmingham is to build what we're calling a lodge, which will have about three bedrooms, two baths, and um, uh, a kitchen, a full kitchen. This time it will have a, an oven or range. We'll get one that is as energy efficient as possible. But if we're going to entertain a large crowd, we've just decided we will eventually need an oven <clears throat> for that purpose. Um, and, of course, a large entertainment area. So, you know, more, more details about that to come, and there's a lot we need to iron out. We're kind of waiting to see how this design that we live in now, that, that we've used for the, the barn and the apartment, um, works in the hot weather to determine would we want to use the same sort of design for the lodge. Exactly. Yeah. And one other thing I would like to stress about the lodge, it's real important to you and me that we design the lodge so that it uses zero energy when nobody's staying there. Right. It's only, it's you know, we may have air conditioners running and all kinds of things when people are there to keep them comfortable when our guests are there. But we live here in the apartment, or we plan to, and um, we live, uh, as we've talked about already, on a small scale. So that would be sort of our overflow when we've got other people here. Yes, and our area. expectation would be that, barring something unforeseen, it would spend most of the year unoccupied. Right. So we want to make sure that it doesn't use energy just sitting there. Right. But when people are here or somebody needs to come spend the night or, you know, we spend Christmas with the children visiting, uh, we've got 
plenty of room. So, so anyway, that's one of the plans. Um, maybe even sooner than that, we might build a fire pit. We definitely want to build one, but we're thinking maybe um, that's something we can do now. And also a greenhouse because we uh, would like to be able to extend our growing season and uh, make it easier to start vegetables from and, and plants from seed. And as you and I have reflected on this, there are so many projects that need to be done. Not just things we'd love to do, but things that we feel need to be done. Oh, I know. And we expect to have an inexhaustible supply of projects that need to be done until we're dead. Right. Um, so I hope I live a nice long life because there is much to be done. I think one of the other uh, areas that we haven't really talked about that I'd like to see us be able to use more uh, to our, I guess, for food someday is our pond. We have a nice little pond True. down there. It's about an acre and a half, and um, it's it's overgrown. It's been, it was, a, what is it, about 40 years old or at more least. at least, um, neglected. It, but it holds water really well. It's fed with an underground or from an underground spring, but it's covered, the bottom of it's covered with vegetation to the point you really couldn't, it's not practical or, or even possible to fish. There's no point in stocking it with fish at the, until we have some pond management brought in. Um, we've had various people affiliated with Auburn and the Extension Service who's give, given us some advice. So the specifics of what we'll do about that, I don't know, except we just want to get it so we can stock it with edible fish. Another one of those projects. Another one of those projects. And there are many others that we could go into, but um, we want to we want to keep this show going, so we'll move on to the next question. Do you use gray water or have plans to? And my understanding of that definition of gray water is water that's been used to wash earlier. It's been kind of recycled water. And you use it to flush your toilets and that sort right, of thing. Right. And uh, the short answer is we don't plan to, to spend a lot of time and attention on gray water because we don't generate that much water. Right. You did note that when, you, when one takes an outdoor shower, that you could consider the runoff water off of a person's showering body gray water, and that does go into a, a little area right outside the shower, which is um, near the flower bed, it's kind of a grassy area. And acts as it acts to water that uh, area. Yeah, and it goes there. downhill from there. So there is some spillover, but really we don't. We have a well. We have plans to harvest rainwater off the roof of the barn as well. We have a metal roof and had some rainwater collection equipment installed. We hit, we don't have the complete <clears throat> capability yet. That's but right. We will someday. Uh, right now, it's a, it all collects in a six-inch PVC pipe and runs down the hill. But when funds of, are available, we'll be buying a storage tank and a pump so we can pump that back up and use it for our household needs. Right, and that's actually another one of our future plans. So we, that's we right. should mention one of those other projects. And uh, we've had some really good experiences with visiting people who've harvested rainwater with the right filtration. It tastes just wonderful. It's, I have never had bottled water that was as good as that. Uh, so we hope to do that. Um, I guess that's all about the gray water. We pretty much, so let's move on to the next question. Do you, ha do you use or have plans to use solar panels? And I think the answer is yes, probably. Um, I'll post a link to the page on our energy philosophy here at Longleaf Breeze. But basically, the point is we're focusing right now on using as little as possible. We're not focusing on producing energy. 
And the reason we are taking that approach is that we believe it's far easier to use less than it is to produce more. So we're, we're treating energy cons- conservation, squeezing everything we can out of one kilowatt of energy or whatever as the low-hanging fruit. And that's where, really where our focus is right now. But we're very comfortable with the concept of adding panels later um, as funds permit and as technology right. improves. Right. Yes, I'm very hopeful about that. We actually visited some homes in Blunt County, Alabama, where they're, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> where they're using active solar panels. And I, I was inspired by what they could do. That You know, they, you do have to figure out how you're going to transmit that energy, you know, batteries or, you know, what have you. But, um, but I'd love to see us do that at some point in time, um, even if it's just on, for something small. We did talk about having a solar hot water heater, but that wouldn't necessarily use panels, would it? No, that uses <laughs> uh, thermal collection of the sun's energy. Right. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, check back with us in five or ten years. We may, may have had some by then. The next question is, uh, which is more efficient, soft water or hard water? Uh, I'm not really an expert on that, but... We seem to here at the farm have somewhere in between. It's not really hard or soft. I think our ignorance about soft water versus hot water is a good sign because it indicates our water must be a happy medium. It's, it lathers up well when you need to wash something. It rinses away easily when you get ready to rinse. It tastes good when you drink it. So we've just not become smart about soft water versus hard water. But we do know that we have some mineral deposits already on some of the, you know, one of the fixtures. So I, that may indicate, I guess, what you'd call hard water. I do know that when I've been somewhere that had soft water and taken a shower, tried to wash my hands, you, you feel as though you still have soap on you and you have to use more water to get rid of that, or at least I do, to get rid of that soapy feeling. So my instincts tell me if that's the case, it's not as efficient to use soft water. But it could be when you're washing your clothes and you need it. Or to maybe you up. just get used to it and and quit trying to use that extra yeah. water. I I don't know, but for for whatever reason, uh, we seem to have water that sort of hits that happy medium. Yeah, and we're really happy about that. So, all right. The next question is, uh, what kind of household cleaning products and personal hygiene products do you use? And I'm assuming the interest there is, do we do anything so that our products are more green, are less toxic to the environment. <clears throat> uh, I'll start with some of the, the good good answer I can give to that, which is we, from now on, I think when I buy glass cleaner, I'm buying the non-toxic, you know, no harmful chemical stuff because we use it not only to clean windows, but also the sun oven that we mentioned earlier has a glass door and you want to keep that free from debris. And I, I don't want anything that's anywhere near my food um, if I have to clean it with glass cleaner having toxic chemicals in it. <clears throat> um, I've also bought some toxic, uh, or non-toxic um, cleaner for the sink, but the lavatory. But I also have my old standby Clorox too. So, you know, or Clorox, I guess Clorox cleanup. Um, I, I don't know whether I'll keep buying those products or not. But right now I haven't made any 
huge changes aside from what I mentioned in that. And my personal hope is that we can grow out of this. I think you are still very much a product of 20th century Madison Avenue propaganda. You still think you need to have a, a different cleansing product for every need we have. I don't. I would much rather see us use water for most things and when we need an extra cleanser, a little soap or a little baking soda or a little vinegar can increase the productivity of whatever we're doing. But that's a continuing conversation that you and I have. And I think we're we're slowly maturing in that and moving toward a simpler and simpler purchasing pattern with our household cleaning. Right. I would like to go more toward organic, natural, sort of everyday household products that we have when I'm cleaning for example, I learned the easiest way to clean the soap scum off the shower is just to dilute ammonia in water. And uh, you can look on the Internet, and it tells you exactly how to do it. So that, that's, that's one, one example. That's one great example of how we yes, can yes, to simplify, simplify things. Exactly. As far as personal hygiene, the, uh, like a lot of women, I like to buy PETA-friendly cosmetics, uh, something that's not been tested on animals. Um, I don't know. I suppose I'm a pretty simple uh, personal hygiene. You know, I have the um, liquid. I do try to use liquid soaps in the shower because it's not supposed to have as much soap scum. So that may be a a personal choice. Which is a great time to say, I am careful never to use your indoor shower. I always take a shower outside because then I can just use a plain old bar of soap and and not have to worry about it. Right. That's true. So anyway, I think that that's about all I know to answer it. I, I don't know that I'm a lot different from others as far as personal hygiene products. All right. Well, we actually, our last question is basically a follow-up from last week when we talked about compost. Um, someone asked whether we can compost cereal boxes. And um, I guess we would say the same thing about a cereal box that you would say maybe about even a magazine. If there's any um, maybe a slick surface that might yes, have some chemical the coated treatment. stock. Coated stock. I wouldn't do that because you just don't know what chemicals might be there entering your food supply. Um, I'm big on recycling, and, and we're going to have that. Well, we don't have long to have an argument about it. That's over right. The, we'll not, have a brief we'll exchange. You. How about that? But um, I'm still into recycling, and so my cereal boxes, I don't throw them in the garbage. I uh, just put them in the recycling and then they go to the next time I go to where they take mixed paper um, it goes hopefully back into the earth in that form and the the brief exchange is that I believe recycling is a 20th century suburban conceit that has been foisted on us by all of the companies that want to make money producing disposable products what we really need to be doing is getting away from using disposable containers completely. And when we do, recycling will be this quaint notion that we will giggle about. Right. But until then, I believe in recycling, and we'll just have to agree to disagree about that. <laughs> well, I think that's that about wraps it up. We've enjoyed answering these questions. It's, it's made us think about some things that really uh, I probably wouldn't have thought about absolutely this is fun to do this next week we'll be back to routine and we've got some things to catch up on so we'll have to bring everybody up to speed on what's been happening the last couple of weeks lots of planting going on so i hope you'll tune in next week to hear all about how that's uh, 
turning out, and maybe we might even have a few little um, sprouts to report on from our seed-starting endeavor. So have a great week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.